This is Isaac Kenyon, an energy transition spatial analyst and researcher, a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society of London and the Geological Society of London, and a trustee for Mind Mental Health Charity. And you're listening to Steady State Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix, where the water's flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to save a real-life experience from gaunch to coxie at every level. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. We're really interested in what makes people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today on and off the water. Isaac Kenyon just set his third ultra-distance world record on the Concept2 indoor rower. This follows on the heels of other huge challenges like rowing the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, and swimming the English Channel. He's also a motivational speaker in search of climate solutions. Together, we dive into the philosophy, mindset, and motivation that helped him break free of the lure of screen time and fuel his outdoor adventures. We need entry music. I know entry music right? would be fantastic. Yes. We need like walk on music, like in baseball. <laughs> hey, look, there's Andy. Isaac Kenyon. Hi, Ding. Hi. Is, is that Hi, the entrance? Yes. yes. Hi, yeah. We were just thinking we need to have entry music um, for our guests. Epic. In every episode, we like to put our guests on the hot seat right away for a lightning round of questions called rapid fire. You ready? Yeah, um, I like that stuff. Atlantic Ocean, Thames River, or indoor rowing? Ooh. Let's go with Atlantic Ocean. Uh, intervals or long distance rowing workouts? Long distance rowing workouts. That's, I don't really do intervals very well. <laughs> uh, podcast or Netflix while you row? Podcast. Favorite music to listen to? Generally classical, but then if I'm training, um, I would probably go for something that's more upbeat, uh, dance music. Barefoot or shoes on the erg? Shoes. Calories, watts, or splits on your PM5 monitor? Splits. I'm all about consistency. <laughs> yeah. Pace, pacing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, coffee before or after a row? None. I don't drink coffee at all. All natural. You are. All right. Well, you're in good company. Uh, you're in good company. You're in good yeah. company. We don't drink I, coffee much. I either. find it, it's just terrible for long distance endurance. It, mm. it just gives you this spike and you're forever addicted. You forever need it as a top up. Um, it's, it's, it's essentially a drug. Yeah. It, it is a caffeine yeah for um, sure you know, we talked to um we talked to a nutritionist tara remember when we talked to the u.s rowing nutritionist i think she talked about coffee um and we asked her about people who drink coffee in the boat for morning practices and it's always seemed like such a ugh, like i just couldn't do it but it does help with hydration which did kind of surprise me that she didn't say no don't drink it Oh, I always thought coffee was dehydrating. I thought it was dehydrating also. I don't know. We'll have to look into this. 
But first, on a scale of zero to 10, how is your rowing week going? I would say my rowing week is probably a solid seven. I haven't been on the rowing machine as much as I would want this week because I'm away. Um, but I've seen people rowing, which has given me a bit of motivation. I was running down the river and I saw the people rowing, but I haven't actually got on the boat. <laughs> I so, love that yeah. you can have, I love that you can have a seven in your rowing week just by watching other people row. I think that's pretty it's, That's where it is, the community, right? So. Yeah. And it's gorgeous to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's pretty, which means they're working <laughs> even harder, right? Yeah, oh. The more graceful, the more, the more tough mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. The more technique precise it is. Uh, all right. So this week you're traveling. You haven't been able to train on the erg, uh, but we know that just a few weeks ago you were erging a whole lot and set a new world record. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think in that world record, I probably got enough rain for the year. And so I did uh, 48 hours um, in tandem with my friend Jordan Williams. We rode um, two hours on, two hours off for 48 hours on the erg. Um, and we did that. Two, two weeks ago. It was a quite, quite a difficult challenge mentally, I think, um, going through the nights and um, waking up and having maybe one hour sleep to jump back on and push yourself again. But we did it for National Autistic Society. Um, both of us have very close family members with autism and wanted to raise some awareness about autism and how we need to accept autistic people in society now. I mean, everyone knows about autistic people, but now it's about accepting them and they're not going to change. We need to change for them. Um, so it was all about World Autism Awareness Week. And we finished the row right at the end of, of, of that week and had a lot of support and raised, I think, a couple thousand pounds. Wow. Congratulations. I, I know that when we work in large communities, like the rowing community or maybe the eco-adventure community for you, neurodiversity is just a given. There are people all along the spectrum of being able to pay attention, of being innovative and creative, of being outgoing, of being introverted. There's just such a, already such a, a spectrum of neuro types. Can you tell me about who you, tell us about who you did that with? Um, Jordan, Will- Jordan Williams, um, my, my friend. Um, yeah, so he, he has an interest. He started rowing for this. So um this uh, challenge he had never rode before uh, going for this world record so when when i uh, asked him i said would you be up for doing some rowing with me and teaching him to row and then i thought you know i think you're pretty good would you like to go for a record? he picked up quite quickly actually um a bit of natural i guess uh athlete sports wise some some people are just gifted aren't they um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he picked it up and 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 broke the record with me um so he only he only had really been rowing for about Five, five months or so on the indoor rail. So but I guess ha- having someone teach him the skills, you know, the, the mm-hmm. technique um, and not him learning it on his own, I think really helped. I spent a lot of contact hours with him. Yeah, that's good. Because I was going to say, when you go from zero to a world record distance rowing on the erg, you can really do some harm to your body. So how did he come out on the other side of it? And how are, how are you feeling after the couple of days on the erg? Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're fine. And we, we came out, obviously, you know, of course, a little bit sore because we've been rowing for two days, but nothing major. And um, I think 
we had a really great rehab routine and um, we were really good on the technique, making sure that the back was okay. And I think that was one of the things that can relax first is obviously your form. I mean, rowing two hours at a time. So people who row for just two hours straight, their form goes. Um, mm -hmm. Imagine two hours after doing that for 15 hours or something that your form has definitely got to go. So we had a lot of tech, um, technique triggers. So we would have alarm set that was specific, you know, technique time um, or check the watch, look at your technique. And it was, that was pretty much the mojo. <laughs> like when we talk about a team taking on such a huge endurance goal, oftentimes they identify like a common goal or they identify like, we're doing this for Bobby or like, you know, there's always sort of this. Motto, uh, yeah. Yeah. What was your, what was the, was, at the part was, of it? autism was just the cause of autism um, and we in terms of motivation again people would come and support we always had people witnessing us making sure that they could see the turnover but they were also support right so they're there to chat with us and discuss things so um yeah they they were they were also i guess part of the community around you know in the, in the gym that we did it in um they, they were there to support us and I think that was that was really important. Um, we didn't we had it, it was World Autism Awareness Week. It's not quite as row for Bobby or like that. It was like row for autism sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, How many yeah. meters do you think you went? So um, we worked out actually. We went just oh, I think it was just over four hundred fifty thousand. Um, so that was a pretty good effort, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But like I'm yeah. gonna be like working out your average split, like oh, 400. I think it was about three minutes or so, like roughly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we kept it. We kept it between three and three thirty. We wanted That's to keep it strong enough that it keeps you awake because you can go quite lax on that uh, on the rowing machine. But we didn't want to go too fast that you burn out. So we found that three three minutes was was okay um, for that. Yeah. And I'm assuming you did this on a concept too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. We can all imagine it, you know. Yeah, I yeah, I'm th I'm thinking about rowing those sorts of distances, and I know everyone has different goals and different motivations, and you know, some people really are excited about big challenges like that, and other people think I could never do that. Right. And I had a little phase in my life where I thought like, well, I can do half marathons on the erg, right? Half marathons on the erg. And I trained for them, but every time I did a half or did a very long training piece, there was some point where I hit a very dark place mentally, even though it was like, I knew that this was going to be over in the next hour and 45 minutes. It was just, I can't believe I'm doing this. Why am I doing this? So when I start stretching that out to two days of rowing to rowing the Atlantic to, you know, lots of these sorts of big challenges that you've done that we're going to get into. I'm kind of wondering where you find the motivation and do you have any tricks for getting out of the dark holes? Yeah. I mean, I guess I've been in the dark places a lot. Yeah. Um, 48 hours. I think we probably, I may have said hello darkness my old friend about a hundred times <laughs> especially at especially at night in the middle of the night right um, when it's 3 a.m and you're on the rower and um, yeah. your, your teammates sleeping next to you and so I think one of the major things um with getting through those moments is checking in with yourself and knowing and accepting that you're not feeling great right now but 
to give up is kind of a, a shortcut to failure. Um, so <laughs> having that sort of driver mentality to succeed, I think um, what I tend to do is slow things up. It, it, it's kind of, is, it, is this a physical exhaustion right now that I'm feeling or is this a mental exhaustion? So splitting up the two. So sometimes you overthink you might feel too audacious of a task right now and you, you're kind of feeling a bit overwhelmed. You just want to come off the machine. You're overthinking, you're overthinking. So you need to like tie this, I guess, uh, change the mindset to something more simple. So um, if I start overthinking, what I'll do is I'm like, okay, I'm just going to look at one thing and just work on that one thing. So I'm going to work on my rowing technique just for this bit. So I'm feeling a bit off. So I'm just going to focus on the rowing technique and it's like a distraction. And then your, your body and your mind then kind of transforms sometimes over that distraction. And then you're actually okay again. So that there are ways to do it that way. And then I always find that one of the biggest tricks is having the support network around you. Mm -hmm. So having people near you. And so when I did the Atlantic row, for instance, I was in a team of four. Um, and I was able to call on my team members you know, for support and they were able to call on me for support. And when we did this 48 hour row, there were people in and out around the gym, people talking to you um, checking in on how you felt. And you kind of had that interaction, which was really good at distracting the mind from the dark places, if that makes sense. And then of course, I think most of it does come down to distracting yourself away from, I can't do this. So having coping mechanisms um, and, and those are forms of distraction. So people talking to people, um, let's change the music or let's focus on one bit of technique, just ways to just change the mindset. And you'll find that actually you will get past those dark points. I get it in marathons when I run marathons. Um, the same, I will, I will have like, oh, I'm feeling really burnt out. So I'll slow the pace down a bit focus on maybe the way I'm running for a bit. And then I will start to realize, oh, I've got my mojo back. And then, because it, it actually is just a mind thing. So the whole thing is a mind game. Most people give up on endurance because of the head, not really because of the physicality of it, um, unless they're technical. Or, I guess they may have burnt themselves out. The pace was too fast. Um, but then that you can adapt. You just slow yeah. down the pace. You can just I slow down the pace. I watch a lot of ultra running. I'm a big ultra running fan. And I know that those support crews who go to aid stations and they have the lawn chair and they make sure they sit down and they make sure that the eating plan is being kept up and they check in and they say, you know, are you uh, doing uh, this and that? I know for me, when I row long distances, what helps me is counting. I like to count. And I also like the option of changing what I'm wearing for some reason I don't know oh, why yeah. yeah just even like I, I like to wear arm warmers for instance you know just you just peel it off <clears throat> toss it in the bottom of the boat or or some there's some shift you know so that you you have this external focus and how did your, <laughs> yeah how did your with your team goal being autism were you able to you know, use that as a platform for your motivation and then be yeah, able to talk to definitely. each other, you know, kind of in those really dark moments. And did you, did you help pull him out at any point? Yeah, there was a lot of that actually um, helping each other in that way. Um, mm -hmm. 
one of the conversations that we would always have is that yes we're struggling but people struggle like this on a day-to-day basis i mean mm-hmm. we're fully able fully minded very lucky individuals to be we're basically privileged to be able to sit on this rowing machine for 48 hours and do this um this is actually we're lucky to be doing this we should be taking this in so it's changing the whole situation of this is such a slog oh my god this is killing me to like i'm actually lucky to be here and be able to do this and what like a privilege to be able to support this amazing charity um and thinking of them as the wider wider goal thinking of something bigger than yourself is really key you feel like you're a cog in the wheel and you're supporting this huge um cause which although is many people are supporting it you're you're one of those many people and um it would feel a bit like a letdown if you didn't go through with what you said you would do with with that cause too so you've got that inner motivation to be like i'm gonna complete it for them as well as myself because of our amazing patrons we've been able to provide 16 change maker scholarships to rowers coaches and club founders who have big ideas for the future of our sport when you join our patreon community for as little as five dollars per month you support the Changemaker Scholarship Initiative and help develop new leaders in the rowing community. You'll also be the first to know about new episodes, get steady state freebies and store discounts. Find out more at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, we're back with Isaac Kenyon. That's one, two. So I'm curious because we kind of jumped right to you setting world records, but there must have been day one when you said, hmm, I think I'm going to row. When did that happen for you? Day one, um, probably a really unusual story. This. OK, so most rowers don't probably get into rowing the way I did. Um, so I was uh, kind of, I guess, doing different sports, uh, outdoor sports like swimming, open water running and hiking a lot and hiking mountains and things. And then I got um, a a friend who messaged me saying, I've just seen this really cool expedition that you can do, which is rowing across the Atlantic. Would you like to do that with me? And in the back of my mind, I had never really had a a real drive to learn to row at that point or to sail or anything like that. And then there was just something about an unsupported rowing expedition from the Canary Islands across to the Caribbean and that being like a purely, you know, out there experience. And I just thought, you know what, you don't get asked that often, do you? No. Um, I, yeah, when do you get asked that? Um, so I just thought, okay, first aside the fact that I don't know how to row, I don't know how to sail, I've never been to sea before or been in a boat rowing. Like throw that all aside. Yes, I'll do it. <laughs> I just went for it. I was just like, oh, what's the worst that could happen? You can learn, right? So um, I like that. I, I'm a big fan of the sure, why not? Let's try it uh, method yeah. of participation. Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, my favorite. It, that's what I say about row, like rowing now to people. It's like, just try it. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. You will never know unless you try it. Right? And I think there's something to be said for like jumping all in, you know, to something that you've never done before, because you don't have any preconceived notions of what it should be, you know, and I think Tara and I have been rowing for so long that I'd be a little nervous about taking on such a big challenge, knowing like what I know about rowing and having so much history with it. On the other hand, 
the idea of doing something completely different with the sport than I've ever done sounds really intriguing. Well, yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. Because now, actually, if someone said to me, would you like to do rowing in this capacity? I would think very differently now what I have done rowing. Um, At the time, I was very much like open-minded child, basically. Um, Yeah, yeah, so I did, yeah, threw myself in, I guess. And um, yeah, I learned to row uh, through my friend in a double double in the skull. Uh, He was steering behind and just saying, you're not feathering right, you're not in time. And it was just, it's a bit haphazard. That's <laughs> the way it always start. is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we actually never capsized, ever. I was going to say, um, did you stay upright? <laughs> you know what? Even to this day, I have never capsized. Oh, you have to. That, that's, when that's, that's when you're a real uh, row. A row, I know, <laughs> yeah. You, you flipped I'm, it over. I'm a um, fake right now. <laughs> I, I actually had the opportunity to train for help be the rowing, the rowing consultant, the rowing training consultant, and be part of a team that was training to row 800 miles from Pacific Northwest to Alaska. And these were all human powered boats. And it's this really fabulous event called uh, the R2K, Row to Alaska, R2AK, Row to Alaska. And they were taking an old wooden shell and we bought uh, sweep oars from University of Washington, these really old spoons from the University of Washington. And, you know, you're going to ready to like shit in a bucket for a week. And like, you know, you're just doing all the things and like, what's your nutrition? And like, and who are these people? Who are these people that I'm about to like uh, sit? You didn't in know this? them. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did, we did spend a fair number of months. Um, unfortunately it didn't end up happening because of various, uh, various factors, but, uh, but a few of them actually ended up going and trying it and they made it about three days, uh, but the weather was, was pretty wild. But I, I'm, I've always imagined myself an ultra athlete in some way. I just haven't found the thing yet. So I'm always in awe. So thank you for giving us a little insight into your um, oh, yeah. doing it. I'm, I'm inspired. Now I'm like, what can it, I do? It never starts like how you, how these uh, endurance athletes talk right now, they never started like, with that mindset and confidence at the start it's yeah it's definitely built over years um yeah, yeah <laughs> mine so, has anyway yeah so I was wondering like what was that tipping point for you where you went from being like the guy that likes the outdoors to the guy who pursues extraordinary adventures uh, yeah I guess um the extraordinary adventures they put you into better outdoors no okay <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes sense but Rowing across the Atlantic, you're middle of the ocean. You're never going to often have that um, experience where you're looking at the the Milky Way and the Hubble Space Telescope and all of that at night and swimming with whales. That's really rare. So I think um, it was more going into the ultra and the endurance and the extraordinary adventures like that. I think more so, I think got, got me into that was, the, I guess, the care and the cause trying to highlight causes through this way. Um, I thought, wow, like if you do something of this nature, it draws a lot of attention and you can drive a lot of good with that. So that's one reason. And then the other reason is it's audacious, it's challenging. So you learn to row and once you've learned to row, you can get better at the technique or you can take that technique and that skill set into a remote environment and try and traverse a remote environment. And that for me is quite a challenge and not many people have done that. So there's no by the book here. There's no specific 
coaches here. Um, this is you experimenting and learning. And I thought that was really, really exciting um, to be kind of pioneering, I guess, in that sense, where you just are exploring a, a new world using the skill set that you've developed and then honing in new skills whilst you're out there. Um, and then I guess I, I've been coming back from the ocean row and there's some things that I've learned in ocean rowing that I didn't know before. And that was learned whilst I was out there, which was pretty mm -hmm. exciting. Um, I think sometimes people, I guess, can get quite uh, mund mundane by doing the same sport over and over again. Um, but if you change the environment a little bit, the sport becomes a bit more interesting again, uh, brings life into it. So a lot of people fantasize and daydream about this kind of adventuring. And I'm just wondering, where do you think people should go for their first step? You know, is it... So what do you think about the first step into adventuring? Adventuring, um, in my eyes, can be anything that is new and different. I think it's just a way of exploring. Um, I mean, some people talk about getting a new job as an adventure. Um, some people talk about it's, it's got a different perception. But if we're talking about in the, I guess the media sense, the way it's portrayed in media, where Bear grills or somebody like that, you know, they go off into expedition mode. Um, so to get into that sort of realm, I guess the first thing is being comfortable with the outdoors. Um, and I think to get into that, you need to immerse yourself uh, for time in the outdoors. So first, probably doing some sort of hiking expedition where multi-day backpacking, something like that, just to a simple thing, which is walking in the outdoors and living in the outdoors. Then you get sort of a taste for it and then you can start maybe integrating more sports into that. Um, and then eventually before you know it, you're, ice climbing and <laughs> all sorts of stuff <laughs> um, the, the list is that. really the re list is really really endless um with outdoor sports um and outdoor activities um and adventuring tends to be traversing from an a to b destination through some mode of transport which uh, a human power tends to be um what most people call an adventure i think um and it tends to be multi-day um, but there are things like micro adventures uh, small ones like half day where you go on the A to B paddle boarding or something like this. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, this is kind of the way in. Um, and to go, I guess, into the extremes and do the endurance stuff, you you hone in on that sport. Um, that becomes your focus point. How can you become a master of that sport? So you learn all the technique, you do the technique, you then learn how to prolong that um, duration with that sport in in that environment. And then you try to I guess, go to, into different environments with that sport and try and perfect new techniques there. And then eventually you become, I guess, really well-rounded um, and you probably do something like rowing across an ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually wanted to loop back for a second, Tara, if we could, um, back to the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge that you did. What year was that? I did it in 2018 to 2019, yeah. And how long was your training leading up to the day that you guys shoved off and took your first strokes? Oh, wow. I, okay, so 2016, I think, was the official, right, we're doing this. And that was two years before. So then we spent a lot of time, I guess, mostly trying to raise the money for it, uh, which was the hardest part. Um, so I guess with the more audacious expedition, taking kit out into these remote places, it, just, it costs a lot of money. So we spent a lot of time trying to raise the money. Um, but we did tra training on the side. So we trained for two years 
um, building up um, the mindset muscle, <laughs> I would say, res mental resilience to be able to even just attempt it. Because at the start, it's like you're looking at, you know, you've got in my picture here a mountain. At the start, you're at the base and it is huge. You know, you've got to raise 150,000 pounds. You've got to be able to sustain rowing two hours on, two hours off, 24 seven, 40 days. You need to know your nutrition like the back of your hand. You need to be able to mentally get yourself up and change and ready every two hours be able to deal with storms and swells and be able to navigate high seas. And yeah, there's so much. You're right at the base of the mountain and you spend that whole two years just making the learning, um, I guess, reduce the steepness of the curve, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. steep learning curve at the start and then it gets easier and easier and easier. And then you're at the peak and there's the, the, the new base at the peak is very small by the time you're on the ocean. Um, so, yeah. And at that point, you are you step into the boat day of you're going to start in your mind. What were you most excited about? I was most excited about losing side shore because yeah. at that that is the moment where you're really out there on your own. And that is the moment it's really difficult to train for unless you've done it. So at that point, I've never lost sight of shore on a boat before. I could always see the sea or uh, sorry, not see, I could always see land and I could always see, you know, the clouds that form over land. You, see, you have cloud formations that tend to form over, form over land masses so you know that there's land underneath. So getting to a point where it was blue sky all around you and just sea all around you, that moment I was most excited, partly because of curiosity, how my mind reacts in this situation. Um, yeah. And how did it how did it react? Yeah, how'd that go? Well, there's there's only one way to go now, isn't there? <laughs> Continue. <laughs> um, so yeah, at that point, it was very much like, right. Um, I'm comfortable. Let's continue. Let's go. I didn't have a breakdown, so it was right. But there are instances where you hear people who have breakdowns, and they're just no, not for me. I'm I'm off. I'm, I want to go back home now. Cool, cool. Yeah, that, the, uh, that makes me. Sorry, go on. Call the helicopter. <laughs> oh, call the helicopter. Yeah, yeah, that's how you'd get out if you were um, at that point of a couple of days or so rowing and then you can't handle the, the disposition, you would you would call for rescue. So, so a lot of times these eco-adventure teams um, are made up of people who bring different skills in. Like someone might be an expert navigator. Someone might be an expert food person. Someone might be a, a rehab or physical therapy type of person. What, what did you bring to the boat? What was your expertise or humor? You know, some people are like the funny one. They get their crack the jokes. Yeah, I, I guess I was like the most driven person to, to get it going. So I was like project, project leading. Um, getting getting all the bits and pieces uh, together uh, i focus a lot on, on the nutrition because um one of the reasons why i wanted to focus a lot on the nutrition was how important it is for the mind so I'll, i knew that was one of the most important things on that boat was nutrition because that was dictating the performance of the individuals and if the food was bad they would be bad uh, mentally and physically so that was and then obviously when they're bad mentally and physically the boat performance is bad and then everything falls apart. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I focus on, on the nutrition because that was the most emotional um, aspects of the boat. And I, I saw it as the most important thing. Um, 
<laughs> I love food. <laughs> yep. Did you have a favorite snack on the boat? Like what was your kind of go-to like comfort food or snack or what was your thing? Yeah, I, I had a, a few favorite snacks. There was, um, I had a, a really top uh, dehydrated ration pack meal that I really liked. Um, and it was, um, so it was, it was, the brand was called Real Termat and it was from uh, Norway. And it was the best dehydrated ration pack because the vegetables within it are, were actually uh, more fresh, if that makes sense, when they're hydrated than other dehydrated ration packs. So you're actually, you're chewing a, bro- a broccoli piece and you're, it actually tasted like broccoli and the texture was like broccoli. Whilst oh. in some of the other dehydrated ration packs that you had when you were on the boat. So you can only take dehydrated ration packs. Um, you have to hydrate with uh, desalinating the water. Um so, so that you can eat. Um, so the uh, best one was a, a, like a chicken. It was like a chicken noodle, um, a Chinese chicken noodle dish. I just loved it. I don't, there's something about it. I just really look forward to it all the time. Um, so we, yeah, we took we took uh, quite a few of those on. I'm just looking up the brand Real Termat. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real Termat. Yeah, they're really yeah, good. Yeah, it looks... Recommend for any endurance athlete uh, taking okay. dehydrated ration packs expeditions. Not- not sponsored by Real Termat, but <laughs> not sponsored. Definitely, we'll definitely um, keep a link in the in the notes. Yeah, yeah, that, that was brilliant. Um, then other things I was involved in was um, communications. So I was um, the go-to man for satellite communications with um, on the shore team, and um, spent a lot of time just making sure that the communications were key. Because so we had a, a weather router who was um, based on land and. Although he can create simulated models of what what sort of weather we're going to pass into, what was important for his models was our own, what we can see and what we can feel and what are the wind, what is the wind doing where we are. So we would, I would send back um, information to our weather router quite often, um, which then dictated, I guess, kind of the route we took. Cool. And then I was humor guy as well. <laughs> you were. Okay. I figured there might be some um, uh, humor or, um, you know, maybe some rituals or, or traditions that you might develop over 40 days. Um, oh, yeah. You know, every morning we do this or we, you know, uh, jump yeah. in the water or. We, yeah, we had um, slow down days, which was kind of like, right, it's still, it's flat water. Sometimes it was like the lake in the middle of the Atlantic. It was literally flat there was no waves and you you felt like you were rowing on a lake and, and it was so hot because it was along the same um sahara desert belt sort of that sort of latitude long shoes so it was 40 degrees most days so it was pretty hot rowing so getting in the sea was quite nice to have a little dip but there was the rule was if you saw whales jump in and film them oh, <laughs> so we Quite often. So our row was um, an interesting row. It was not the most windiest of rows. It was a very, very kind of dead for wind row. Uh, and it was, so it was a lot more actual rowing rather than the wind blowing us across, which tends to happen. So we were um, in a lot of these sort of currents, but a lot of the uh, wildlife would follow through as well. So our boat would follow the currents and then the whales are following the currents, the fish are work, you know, following the currents. So you'd see a lot of whales break up the surface because the waves are not masking them. 
So often you can you wouldn't be able to see because the waves were so big, but when it was flat, you could see them break and jump and stuff like that. And they used to come, you know, one meter from the boat. Um, I swam with um, five whales at once before, and that was amazing. I was in the water, like I was strapped on. You had a leash and things, but there was no other way to describe how amazing this feeling was. But having a whale's eye, it was like the size of your head, huge. about a wow. meter, a meter away from me. Wow. In the water. I was just so no, blown I'm away. like, I can't. And, and, and yeah. that came from just literally saying yes at that beginning, you know, just going, throwing myself into this. And I thought, what a great decision that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there so, is there footage of this? You said that you were filming. Um, is there? Yeah, a- we tr- we've got some pictures and stuff I can send of, of some of the yeah. whales. We Please saw. do. Yeah. Yeah. They were, we were, they were cool. Um, they were so inquisitive, but they look at you, you know. You're not supposed to be in my garden. That's all vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question. So a couple of years ago, I think it was, you uh, did a, a TED Talk oh. and spoke about balancing your life uh, between outdoor time and screen time. And oh, yeah. this, is, this is something we all are dealing with as screens have become completely ubiquitous in our lives. So, you know, besides this, Atlantic Row, you have done other large challenges that have kind of taken you off the grid for a while. But because we're rowers, we're going to talk about rowing. So when you did this row, how did that change your relationship with technology? Oh, God. Technology after that row was so overwhelming. Mm. Um, it, it, it scared me. Mm. So I actually have a fear from it because of how it, it, it can suck life from, from us. We don't know we're being distracted and pulled into a virtual world. Like even doing this podcast, we're looking at the screen right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we are because we're abroad from each other. You know, <laughs> we can't exactly meet up in person very easily. But in, in that instance, it's great. But in other instances, it's people communicating through screens with people they know in the local area and, and they could just actually just meet up and actually spend time outdoors. It's, it's scary that, that you can watch yourself look at a screen for nine hours if you wanted to, if you put mm-hmm. a camera in your, in your working from home room or whatever, and imagine watching the clock spinning and just yourself staring at a screen and what you could have been doing in that time. It, it really was like that when I was on the Atlantic, I spent so much time immersed in nature and connecting and seeing the details that when you do come off the Atlantic uh, from or any immersive time outside, you start noticing a lot of details. And when you go onto the screens, you start realizing that it's so much distractions with the, the phones. You pick up the phone notifications that it breaks up your focus. You never, you never see the little details anymore. I'd, I, sometimes miss like the time of day oh i've missed the sunrise and the sunset again for like Mm. the 10th day in a row (laughs) or that sort of thing i i I haven't taken a walk today so i haven't listened to any birds today Mm -hmm. um and these are really important for the for the mind to 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 reconnect with with the inner chimp of, of who we are as humans we are we are basically animals um, technology is quite scary because it's taken us away from our, I guess, our design. Um, we're not robots, so 
I really liked what you said about the the um, the four uh, brain chemicals. Oh yeah, we say we deplete ourselves in them um, yeah. by and, being on screen. And looking at, I've been like thinking about this a lot in the last couple of weeks as it gets more beautiful. And I, I live in a very rainy place. I live in Washington State, and by the okay. way, Rachel is in Washington D.C. Um, and I live in a very dark, rainy place, which I don't really mind. I mean, as long as you have a plane ticket to Palm Springs or Mexico, you know, somewhere in March, you're, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about like how, uh, like one of the tactics with your iPhone is to change the screen to black and white because yeah. it's candy colors for a reason. And there's a, there's a tactic of changing the whole thing to black and white. And it actually kind of makes you a little physically ill at first when you look at it, because you're so used to this, um, this reaction of these colors and the way that they notify you that you have a like, or you have a message or something like that. Um, and you can change those things up and, and finding a replacement for where, where you get your dopamine or where you get your, um, uh, what was oxytocin. Oxytocin. Got oxytocin, serotonin, and oxytocin is the one you get when you get a hug from someone or yeah. when you connect with someone. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about what you found as being some good technology substitutes like as it, as in getting away from technology, like you're like, okay, I need to go get some dopamine. And I, we know exercise is great, but have you found a new a favorite um, replacement? Oh God. Um, well, that's a really good question, actually. So I, I would say getting outdoors in community areas is a really great way to get a lot of those, those chemicals at once, you know, oxytocin, serotonin, um, endorphins, those those are really like you can you can get most of them just from being in talking to the community, walking around outdoors in nature, um, and then hitting a goal like a five k or something. That that ticks a lot of the boxes. I find that's just enough um, to 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 kind of find that balance. But I think doing it daily and regularly is is where that where the magic is. Um, so you can over time. I found um, over time that I was being depleted of these chemical brain chemicals, and that actually, you know, can start giving mental health problems. So being able to break break the cycle of the constant screen time is is really important to reinstate those chemicals, you know, and find that balance. Um, I can go a whole day looking at a screen, no problem two days I'll start really feeling it and then you know three days four days and it just gets worse so not leaving it too late yeah I've had a couple of experiences where I've left it or um, I've gone uh, stayed in a teepee on a remote island and there's no service whatsoever and you, you really if you've been spending too much time with technology it is a true with sense of withdrawal because you really kind of and, and then the word that I've been coming up with lately is regulate and dysregulate so you feel dysregulated so you look at something to regulate yourself right so if you yeah. feel a little wound up or you feel a little nervous or you feel a little excited about something we're always looking for a way to sort of regulate that type of emotion to sort of ground yourself and and often now it's check Instagram or it's you know you know when oh, you're laying in bed at night to, watch, to watch YouTube you know and uh and I've been experimenting with some different 
you know, breathing techniques or yoga or go outside yeah. or, you know, do 20 jumping jacks or, you know, something. <laughs> so it's, it's well, and I think, and I think that all, all of us who are rowers know that feeling we get when we get out on the water and mm-hmm. we might not articulate exactly what that feeling is or what it does for us, but we know the difference between how we feel when we get in the boat And by the time we've finished our workout and we're getting back to shore, we know that we've like sloughed off everything else in our lives and have just connected with our bodies, with our teammates, with nature. If it was for an hour, two hours, and unless the practice was awful, like we usually feel better. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And there's a lot, there's a lot said in rowing with the movement. So movement is is really key to our history. We're, we're move, we, we've always been migratory. Mm, mm. We've always been migratory. We spend days or moving to find new food. And, like we've did that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. And then suddenly you put us in a box stop and a box room, not moving. Yeah. It's like, it's so simple really, but <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we are so um, sold by the marketing and, these apps make are supposed to make life more convenient and easier, but the convenience I think is starting to come at a cost and people are starting to see that now. You know, one thing that Tara and I talked about before, um, before this conversation with you was the notion of kind of when technology came into our lives. And we both remember a childhood with, without smartphones and without being connected uh, on the internet. And when I was watching your Ted talk, I was thinking about when technology came into your life and how overpowering it became. And I didn't want to make any assumptions. So did you, how old are you? And did you grow up with technology in the palm of your hand? Uh, 28. And I didn't grow up with technology in the palm of my hand, but it happened during my, I guess, teenage years, um, the most important years of, of your life. So I was probably the first start first generation of this is the new world this is the digital world everything's on digital now um making that shift i think was happening when i was about 14 Mm. maybe 13 or so in my teenage years um and those years are very important for how you set yourself up for life um and i think when i got to 18 years old I was completely shocked at the whole, how everything was done. Everything, when I say everything, was like, we now communicate, we meet up, we do events through communication on the device. And I was missing out so much when I didn't join the party. Um, And it became isolating, not being part of the technology party. Like you end up... In a, in a state of, oh, I don't know what's going on in the world because mm-hmm. I'm not part of, of this. And then you either, you either accept that you're not going to be going to any of these functions and not have, have as much friends, I guess. It's almost like you lose friends um, from well, not being a, part of the technology party. Yeah, it's there's crazy. a disconnect. There's definitely a disconnect that happened. I was a really late adopter. I mean, despite the fact that today we do a podcast and I do like social media communications, I was a really late adopter. I didn't want to touch smartphones. I didn't want to use Instagram. Like I didn't care about any of that stuff. 
Um, but there did come a time where I realized like, here's this dividing line between yeah. old school and what everybody else is doing. And then now it's like FOMO, like fear of missing out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fear of missing out. And also fear of never seeing people. Yeah. Again, like actually never have meeting up because they only know how to meet up through technology. Yeah. They don't know how to meet up any other way. So you never see them again. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's like uh, you, there's definitely a divide of, of the users and the non-users. You know, I'm sure it's much like um, when you were in high school, you know, the kids who smoked pot, the kids who didn't, you know, yeah. it's like you're definitely like either in or you're not. Um, and I found that having work that takes me outside, like coaching, for instance, you know, when uh, uh, I don't have a phone in my hand because I have to watch the rowers and drive a launch boat, you know, for instance. So I'm always trying to put myself into situations where I can't have it. I do have those moments where I'm like, I love to make films and I love to make short films and I love to shoot content and I love to create content. It's actually really fun for me. So there is a moment where it's like, okay, just put the phone away and try and create a memory rather than um, always having to document it. I'm not that type of person that's like, if I didn't, po- if I don't post it, it didn't happen. Like, yeah. I know it happened in my mind, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've gotten so far away from uh, like photo albums. Oh, yeah. You know, now there's no such thing as like this tactile photo album. That's like a novelty. So, where are all these pictures going to end up? I have 10,000 pictures on my phone right now. Like, where yeah. are they going to end up in, in the end, end of end game? you know so you know it's like i can look back and and look at them fondly you know but uh to what i guess yeah i i I think um they will eventually just be available to everyone at some point i guess um it's all it's all being open and transparent isn't it online um but technology i guess is influencing rowing as a sport so much i mean you can have adaptive boats now and all, all sorts of things where you can start to improve technique more more than you ever knew through technology. So there's a lot of benefits, I guess, to that. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Brooke Yimmer, who started coaching as a volunteer in high school. Just six years later, he's the program coordinator for STEM to Stern and coaches two youth programs in Washington, D.C. Rowing in high school and college helped Brooke hone leadership skills and advocacy for community service. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And when you share and review this episode, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. In two, we're back with Isaac Kenyon. That's one, two. For the folks who are listening to this episode and thinking, you know, I haven't hit my bucket list yet. I'm, I'm still, you know, trying to figure myself out. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely something reason we wanted to do this episode was maybe to inspire somebody who's been thinking about, you know, a big adventure or a bucket list adventure or uh, taking on a big world record um, and just giving them some tools and some inspiration. So thank you so much for sharing all your story. Um, I'm curious about what's next. I don't know, yeah, Rachel, if we're if we're ready to move on to the uh, what's next on your bucket list question. Yeah, absolutely. We want to know what big, hairy, audacious goal, big adventure is, well, next and or on the top of your bucket list. Okay, so 
I'm I'm gonna go into uh, something out of rowing. Um, so this this particular goal is um it's a swimming challenge, and it's swimming the seven biggest seas in in the world, uh, and um they're they're basically like I I don't know if you've heard of the seven summits or mm-hmm. or yeah this is the equivalent of that but for the swimming world, um and then trying to do that in one year uh, all seven of them. So I'm going to try and do a speed record um, with 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 uh, swimming, and uh, that's just one of many um, audacious goals. Uh, I do have ambitions eventually, maybe to row around the world um, or cycle the world. One of one of the two. I haven't decided which one I would like to do yet, but um, I think that would be up there um, as well. Um, but I think once you start doing one or two big challenges, you realise like. Yeah, heck, heck, let's just do all of them. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to stop. You know what it brings, like the enjoyment and the excitement and all that brings to your life. It's really hard to then rein it in and say, well, I'm just going to work at a desk. It's super passionate. Um, The one thing that has changed, though, recently is, I guess, I think of my environmental footprint more more than Mm -hmm. I've ever done now, the climate change stuff. And, you know, gallivanting around the world to do this and do that is, you know, quite lucky right so um ways of doing trying to do this in the most sustainable way is also um something that i really think about um and tr- implement in in my challenges now like how can i be as environmentally friendly as possible yeah i was going to ask you uh if you're what if over these adventures you'll be sort of flying a flag if you will and i now that you've raised you know, nearly 200,000 US dollars for uh, this whiskey challenge. Um, that's a pretty significant goal, but that was you plus four people or more and this engine of fundraising and getting sponsors. And, you know, I think that's oftentimes where people get off track or they get discouraged is they realize the equipment or the planning, the navigation, the support team needing sponsors Um is a big component to it. So uh, my original question is, do you have a flag that you'll fly like uh, environment or, or clean water? Or, yeah. 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 I think environment. And um, I think the most important thing for me is like how important nature is to, is for, for getting my self out of screen time world and providing mm-hmm. a life balance is giving back and protecting what protects me. So it's, it comes across as selfish, but it's also not selfish because it, it protects everyone else as well. The outdoors and nature has been so important to everybody, and we all know that. I, I, I don't think anyone would say the outdoors sucks. Um, so if they do say that, it's like, well, you are part of the outdoors. You're an animal. So um, <laughs> the, uh, the whole point of doing it for the environment is to protect the environment, which protects us and allows us to do these great things like experiencing swimming with whales and, and and stuff like that without without it we wouldn't we wouldn't be here so yeah yeah and it's good that's, to, the, that's my flag <laughs> yeah and it would be good to reconnect and i think anyone who says that they're not comfortable in the outdoors is probably not comfortable with themselves and needs to do some, perhaps, some reflections perhaps. right so, they're not yeah, yeah so this is this is off record but um a couple of weeks ago, I was somewhere and I was listening kind of with one ear to this conversation a couple of women were having next to me. And it started with one of them talking about never going camping, hating camping. She's never going to do it. 
And I just thought, man, you don't know what you're missing, you know, by just shutting the door to that opportunity. Plus you have to make it your own. You know, like when I go camping, I, I sleep in a hammock because I know myself. I know that that's what I prefer. I that's know. Awesome. Yeah. I always do hammock camping. I like solo bike touring. I like to go solo. I don't need 15 people with me. <laughs> I just signed up for my, I just got a permit for a backpacking permit, a uh, backpacking trip here uh, on the Washington coast. And I've never done that before, but I'm like, wow, what the hell, you know, (laughs) let's go. Like, what's the worst that could happen? You know, it's just, uh, you know, maybe a bear or something, but. I mean, I think that close mindedness comes from, uh, I guess maybe as well, that there are influencers who speak like this and then you copy them. Uh, There's like, oh, I've never been caught dead camping. I'm only in five-star hotels. So you start copying them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Yeah. And it depends on how you were brought up, right? If you came up in yeah, a family sure. that didn't spend time outdoors, then it's uh, just yeah. not really a part of your part or of your thinking, you know, or it's privilege, you know, it's, privilege. It, yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely privilege to feel safe uh, and feel adventurous. It's absolute privilege, I think sometimes. Um, and so we always have to sort of measure that. And there's yeah. a lot of uh, uh, initiatives now about diversity in the outdoors and inclusion in the outdoors, because I think people are realizing that, you know, just going for a hike is, you know, not the safest place for people uh, that uh, might feel excluded. So anyway, this is great. I've really enjoyed talking to you. This is, I'm, I'm feeling inspired now. Yeah, let's go. Let's go do our, our Atlantic row. And we want you to meet Susanna Cass if you haven't met Susanna Cass yet. Oh, she's, I haven't. I will have to catch. Yeah, I'll catch her. I think, so you'd, like, she, I think you'd like her. Yeah, she's a biologist in in the UK right now. I can't quite remember where she is based, um, but she has a website. I think thebotanist.com. And Botanist. we, yeah, you should check her out. We can we'll send you her information. I think you guys would really. Um, we think would you hit it off. Yeah. Uh, We talked to her early last year. Uh, She had rowed in college and then ended up rowing the Pacific Ocean and talked to us about that experience some and like how some of the days just didn't go at all the way that she thought that they would. And sometimes it was awful and equipment wasn't working right and all that. But still today, I mean, she finished that row and now she is back to rowing, cycling out, you know, open water swimming and all those sorts of things. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been really fun. Uh, we've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, there was one other thing that that question that you said to get people outdoors to just make a start. Um, I, di- I did this activity this weekend called letterboxing. Um, I don't know if you heard of that. I have not in a long time, but yeah, letterboxing. Yeah, that's a really great way just to get people outdoors and venturing a bit where they're just exploring for like finding, finding these boxes that have notes in them. And then you just add, add to your, to your notes. I think that's a really good way to get people outside. Is that um, like, just, is it like, like geocaching? Ge- yeah. Yeah. Like, like the geocaching. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We, we did lair boxing. Um, I just did it in Dartmoor national park. Uh, first time actually. Um, yeah. so that, that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds fun. We'll put that in the notes for sure. Cha- give people a challenge. Yeah. Just get out there and, do some do some of that yep good cool all right take care both of you lovely to meet you uh, Rachel and Tara and I really enjoyed today's podcast I'm looking forward to uh supporting you on the release thanks yeah 
yeah, thank you again. And I will be in touch with you literally like tomorrow or early Friday to let you know about the release. And um, as always, you know, like the more people we can get spreading the word about the podcast, the more ears that we reach. So if you can help us reach your network, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Okay. Thank you. We'll share it everywhere. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Yeah. Take care, Isaac. Talk to you soon. All right. Yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. To see photos of Isaac, along with links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in the episode, check out the show notes on our website. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Totally. We should definitely tell them. We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and actually around the world. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I really look forward to Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat on Instagram Live because we get to talk about rowing and racing and technique, but we also delve into things like DEI and motivation slumps. And it's always neat when rowers from around the world tune in. And so we hope you'll join us on Fridays, eight o'clock West, 11 o'clock East on Instagram Live. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to our conversation. And we also know that everyone sometimes needs buddies to help get them through long pieces on the ERG. I know I do. So we lead Steady State Sundays the fourth Sunday, basically, of each month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. And when you register for the 60-minute Steady State ERG workout, we give cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way. So you can work at your own pace and then stick around after to chat. Yeah, I really like that at your own pace. I wrote about a 16. (laughs) So um, if you want to find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, go ahead and visit steadystatenetwork.com slash events. Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Between us, we have 33 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience and running successful rowing-related enterprises. Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, where they champion inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of RowSource, the original resource for master's rowers. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Seize the Oar and RowSource. Thanks so much for listening. In two, way enough. That's one, two. Bueno.